The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. good y'all welcome to in the deep a deep league focused fantasy baseball podcast my name is jordan white and i'm joined here for the first time live in color i can literally touch my co-host one christopher schwebzy weber schwebzy how are you doing tonight buddy hi friends i'm doing good i'm in the lovely state of wisconsin i almost said the lovely state of milwaukee that is not right but uh no i'm i'm at the end, or or the, I, more like the halfway point, I guess, of a very long road trip where I uh, I went to PNC Ballpark, Comerica Ballpark, U.S. Cellular Field, the AmFam Clam, and uh, on my way home, I'm going to hit up Progressive Field. It's been fantastic. I'm such like a, a, a sheltered like northeasterner that uh, it, it's been really really cool seeing a, a large swath of the country that I had never seen before. It's- and uh, you know I'm I'm here now I'm I'm here with my 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 uh who my wife calls my uh, my baseball wife. The baseball wife gets a uh, gets sh- short weekend custody of his husband. <laughs> yeah, so I mean I gotta ask you are like you said you're geographically you're halfway through your trip, uh, but really you're on the back end of it now with everything that you've planned on doing. So I gotta ask so far like in your on your trip to the center coast, what has been your? I know people hate when I call it the center coast when they're from the actual coasts. Terrible, but. Uh, what has been your favorite, I guess, one park and then two, just like, I guess, outside of just outside of baseball experience? Uh, like it's I, I feel like it's almost a cliche at this point to say that PNC ballpark was my favorite because everyone is aware of how beautiful that ballpark is in stark contrast to, to the uh, team that plays on that field. But PNC is beautiful. The every you know, that that Pittsburgh skyline view is is something to write home about. Uh, but honestly, the the clam was really really cool. I, I talked yes. to you about this. It is a it, that building is thick. That that is they that building needs to be really sturdy to support oh, that is. retractable roof. And she thick. Oh, she very. Thick. It's impressive, yeah. and it's really cool for like to view from a distance, which we can't really say about every ballpark. It's just a, it's like just an impressive structure. Yeah, it's always nice because like, I mean we talked about it today like for me it's just a very typical thing when you're from Milwaukee you drive past it constantly because it's right off the highway there back and forth between the suburbs but kind of getting to experience it through your eyes was pretty nice too I gotta say it was cool um yeah it's really good to have you here buddy I'm glad that you're here with me right now this is awesome yeah, so no. like obviously like with COVID being a whole thing naturally um not 
and also just geographically the fact that Chubsy is from New Jersey uh, makes it pretty difficult for us to do this sort of thing in person, but uh, lucky enough to do it today, so I'm very happy to be hosting uh, Shrubsy in my incredibly humid, hot, non-AC apartment, which I have apologized profusely for multiple times already, but I guess, I mean, at a certain point, we kind of got to do the thing here, right? So do you want to, should we kick this thing off? Uh, yeah, I guess. Okay, fine. If we have to, I suppose. All right, so we're actually going to be doing this week's episode a little bit different, Um Basically, we were kind of talking about it, and we thought it might be a better idea to kind of go through, especially batters, and kind of address which ones we think are good pickups for folks based on what your needs are. So, like, whether you need runs and RBIs, if you need some power help or something like that, or if you need, like, average OBP or stolen bases. So we're kind of going to go through a few options with each of those. Uh, First and foremost... We're going to start with one that I'm very happy to talk about once again. It's going to be a pretty quick hit, but we kind of got whiplash a little bit, right, with this one, because it seems like Lamont Wade Jr. got sent down and called back up before his plane even landed to take him back to the minors. Yeah, uh, didn't didn't you issue and then retract an apology, like, really, really quickly? Yes, I did. I issued, I immediately after he got called, or uh, sent back down, I issued an apology because I didn't really, like, I didn't take it, that was, honestly, it was me not doing my due diligence, and I told people to pick up Lamont Wade, not really thinking about the fact that there was a chance he could be sent back down due to guys coming off the IL, which is something that I should have done better at. Uh, but then Brandon Belt got hurt four days later. And instantly Lamont Wade got the call again and was back in the leadoff spot in the game that he started. Uh, So then I was just not sorry in any capacity whatsoever and retracted that apology, which I was very excited about. Uh, well, in, in your defense, it's so strange for someone to be good enough to hit lead off for your team. For one of the best offenses in the league, yeah, too. That's yeah. the thing. And then get sent down. That's just really strange. It's just it, it kind of speaks to like the uniqueness of the Giants this year. They're, it's such a strange, productive team. Yeah, they've been great. Just so deep across so many levels, which is why we've talked. We really have talked about them so much because they do have that depth, especially in platoon splits. Um but again, like he had this super brief uh, stint back down to the minors after a few of the Giants returned from the IL. And then Brandon Belt got hurt. Like I said, he has a right knee issue that he's trying to figure out right now. I don't know exactly how long he's going to be out. It's kind of a nagging thing, it sounds like. So it's probably not going to be soon from the look of it. Uh, but again, the one game, and shout out to Buster for pointing this out. Uh, one of our friends, Buster, that we actually hung out with this weekend here in Milwaukee, pointed out in his first game back where he started for the Giants he logged four balls with an exit velocity of 102 or higher when he went two for five with a home run, two runs, and two RBIs. Yeah, we talk a lot about how max exit below is a, you know, it's a really important thing for how productive a batter can be. Yes. But if you're not achieving like insane max exit velos, another path to production is just, you know, hitting your max regularly, even if it's not that high. Exactly. A really good thing to look at, too, is if you go on someone's baseball savant page, there is a way that you can actually put your that player, all that player's batted balls into kind of like buckets of either whether you want it in like one mile per hour increments or five mile per hour increments. And you can see where most of their batted balls sit. So you can see like the meaty part of that bell curve. And you can say like, yeah, maybe this guy doesn't hit the ball like the hardest in comparison with everyone else in the league. But at the same time, he still hits the ball incredibly hard with great frequency. Uh, and that can still be a measure of success for that person. So, again, the same things that I said last week stand here. Uh, 
He's going to lead off when he does get starts, which is going to be pretty frequently, I can only assume. He can slot in at first base, outfield, and corner infield slots if you have them in your league. And again, he's part of one of the best offenses in the league, so he's a super easy pickup for me. There's a part of me that wants him to get sent down again and then called up again over the next week, so we get to do this. Uh, we, we just get to like rinse and repeat all of this again. I don't, I, I just don't start wanna, the cycle over. I don't want to go on that merry-go-round, Schwebzy. Not even a little bit. I just want to see you have to issue another apology through the official ITD account. The rest of the year is just going to be me issuing and retracting apologies. That's pretty much what it's going to be. No, please do not send him down again. I, I, just, I, I don't think he goes back down now. Honestly, of, of all the things like that have occurred on this podcast, it's shocking that that is the first thing we've apo- like really apologized for. There are many more apology-worthy things that we have said. You you all deserve more apologies than we issue. Anyway, can I just, just really quickly, just a blanket sorry for anything that we have said or will say. Oh, I'm not sorry. I'm just saying you deserve it. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to give it. I'm just, you deserve more apologies. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so then moving from one guy... Uh, this is one that you brought up to. Well, yeah, you brought this one up earlier. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy that you really like because he's a guy who, like, straight up literally this year has walked as much as he has struck out, which is always a good thing. Um, and he's getting a ton of playing time again. We talked about him a little bit previously, I think, but with uh, Alex Bregman injury, but Abraham Toro. Yes. Uh, I don't think Abraham Toro is that impressive of a player, which is a great thing to start off a segment with. <laughs> but. It's like it's like you said. He's getting a ton of playing time, which is really important. That's the first step of you know of an unknown getting uh, accruing stats is to get that playing time in the first place. Exactly. And Bregman is hurt for who knows how long. It was a, I believe it was a quad injury, and uh, yes. it was a bad one. It looked like so. I I have to imagine that Toro is going to get a good amount of playing time for a while. Robel Garcia is not a threat, I don't think. Uh, he's been playing a little bit of third base, and he uh, Robel was also replacing Altuve when Altuve was dinged up. Mm-hmm. I just think Toro is a much better hitter, just based on his minor league production. And uh, since he came back up, uh, since, since Toro has made uh, his reappearance this year, he's hitting three thirty three with two home runs, five runs, and 10 ribbies. He has that third base spot on lock i think uh if if how the astros have deployed him is any indication i like i just think that any batter getting regular plate appearances in that lineup as long as they're a competent hitter looking at you martin maldonado as the uh (laughs) the exception to this but uh, no as long as you're a competent hitter in that lineup i think you need to be rostered in most leagues yeah, that's the thing. He's been hitting in like the six or seven spot pretty much every time that he's started, right? That's not a premier lineup spot by any means. A lot of teams, you're not going to want to try to grab someone who's going to be consistently hitting in that spot because they're not going to be quality. But there's just so many quality bats in that Houston lineup, and they all hit or will just continue to hit well. Uh, and if they're going to be getting on base, again, he has those 10 RBIs since he got called back up on the 17th. They're going to be on base for him to knock in as long as he can right. convert at a marginal rate he's going to be valuable right so we we mentioned that this uh this section is kind of for guys who are going to accumulate runs and rbis uh lamont wade jr is kind of more for runs although yes. he he has got he has piled up some rbis even out of the lead up lead off spot but toro i think you're looking at more as an rbi guy because the guys he's hitting behind are your your gordon alvarez's kyle tucker for whatever reason they don't like hitting kyle kyle tucker very high in the lineup so uh he's right behind a really really productive hitter in tucker uh but the guys behind him are like robo garcia and uh martin maldonado so maybe he doesn't accumulate too many runs but he is probably going to be a good source of rbis 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I guess we could move on to now. Let's talk about some power uh, options that we might have out there. Uh, Shrubsy, you have down here Bobby Bradley. So Bobby Bradley, again, uh, not a great average guy. Uh, he's hitting pretty poorly average-wise, if I remember correctly, but he has hit quite a few homers over the past few weeks. Let's hear a little bit more about him. Yeah, uh, actually, you, you talked about the batting average. What's actually really encouraging to me is that he's got reasonable strikeout rates for a power guy decent double-digit walk rates and he's also got a 258 expected batting average which isn't fantastic but it's not going to kill you especially in a, a season where the league batting average is like 235 or around that range exactly although i actually with the with the uh with the changes that the league has made recently we might actually see that start to creep up but uh the point is that his batting average isn't going to kill you it's bad right now probably uh, we we hope it's going to rise a little bit uh, but the, yeah, the main attraction with Bobby Bradley is that he hits dingers. Uh, I, I think uh, the, the most encouraging thing, and uh, encouraging is probably a bad word to use for this, but uh, as far as Bobby Bradley's production, something that really helps him is that uh, Josh Naylor really badly hurt his leg today, and it's looking like that might be a season ender, just judging with how they uh, handled the injury on the field and that means opportunity for Bradley and sadness for Naylor stands like myself. Yeah, that was a pretty rough one today. I mean, that was a pretty abysmal sight seeing Naylor getting carted off after, I mean, it took them like 12 minutes to stabilize his leg, so very clearly it's a very serious injury and we wish him obviously the best and it's incredibly unfortunate. Hopefully it's a speedy-ish recovery, but yeah, Bobby Bradley going to get a lot more opportunity because of that. Yeah, and as for Bradley... This year, he's got a max exit below of 114, which puts him in basically elite company. And uh, we were looking at his spray chart earlier and his home run. He's only got like six home runs this year, but those six home runs have been foul pole to foul pole. Literally, like it was like two to left field, one to left center, one to center, mm -hmm. one to right center. It was literally pole to pole. So I like that from a power hitter. He's not it's not like uh he's strictly pulling the ball so that's it's good to see absolutely yeah uh you also have wilmer flores here um again with our continued tradition of constantly talking about giants hitters as we always do because they're literally just so damn deep it's it's incredible um Okay, I just realized we have another Giants hitter immediately after yeah. that. And Are we biased? Are we being paid off by Justin Mason or something like that to talk about uh, Giants hitters all the time? Actually, Danielle, stop sending us checks. Um, Farhan Zaidi is, is, uh, has us in his pocket. Absolutely. And Farhan, we trust. Truly, though, like I mean, the team's great. But Wilmer Flores, uh, you have it down here that he's hitting how many home runs in the past couple of weeks now? Four dingers in the yes. past 15 days. And... This one, I'm so I'm less confident in this than I am in Bobby Bradley because of a couple of reasons. He's not historically a huge power guy, and he is historically more of a lefty masher than someone who will hit both lefties and righties. Uh, he's always been, since he joined the Giants, he's been one of their many, many platoon bats. We've talked about how they love using platoons constantly, but lately he's been playing most days, hitting dingers, uh, and He's hitting all up and down the lineup, which makes predicting what he's going to do a little more difficult. Like, we can't just pencil him in for, you know, a consistent source of runs, a consistent source of RBIs, whatever. But, I mean, again, four home runs in the last two weeks. He's not a lefty, which isn't good for uh, hitting dingers in Oracle. 
but the, you know, the production has spoken for itself so far, and he's got a history of having streaks where he's been a really productive hitter. He's had some injury issues. Yeah, he's just coming back from an injury. But as long as as long as he's playing most days in that lineup, I, I think we have to consider him. And also, uh, he broke down in tears one time when he almost got traded from the New York Mets. So uh, he always gets bonus points in my book. Hmm. I've never actually heard that story before. Yeah, yeah. Also, huge fan of Friends. He is. I, do, I did see that story. I did see that tweet. That's pretty great. Uh, this has been your Wilmer Flores fun facts section. This has been your Wilmer Flores uh, trivia minute. Uh, but also, okay, so that's the thing, too. I, you, you mentioned before that he's kind of bounced around in the order a little bit. And I don't know that if that's because he is getting more like playing time against righties. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to like bat him lower in the lineup versus righties. Yeah. So that might be why he's bouncing around. But they, I feel like they do that with a fair amount of the bats on that team, just depending on who's hot and like what the uh, platoon splits are and things like that. Do, can you give me another example of a player that they do that with? Thanks for that wonderful segue, <laughs> Webzy. Uh, we're moving on now. Sorry. Okay, we're going to move on to our like average and OBP section. And someone that is incredibly, incredibly boring, but is very, I mean, this year and last year was very, very good for average, is Donovan Solano, who's been playing at second base pretty much the entire year. He did have eligibility in a lot of leagues at, like, uh, I believe, shortstop and third base as well. I'm not sure if that's going to carry over to next year. Likely not, but... Um, his nickname is Donnie Barrels, but he doesn't really that rack up very many barrels. He hits the ball on the barrel, but like quote unquote barrels, he does not get many of. He doesn't hit the ball super duper hard. But the thing about Solano is that he can he continues to do three things really, really well that contribute to a solid batting average. So Fangraphs basically just says he doesn't swing at many pitches out of the zone. He's got a really low uh, O swing rate. He swings at a, a lot of stuff that's in the zone. So he's got a great eye at the plate between those two things. And then also when he does swing at stuff in the zone, he's got a 93.3% zone contact percentage, which is fantastic. So he's putting the ball in play a ton and has a really good eye at the plate. That's fantastic. So this year so far, he's put up a 272 average. I can see that creeping up, like you said, with the changes that they made with the sticky stuff and people seemingly losing a little bit on their arsenals. Uh, maybe that creeps up as the year goes on. I'm not totally sure. Uh, but Although this isn't the blistering pace that he was at last year, it's still well above league average, and I think lucky for him. Wait, oh god, what was that? I can, I can add this out. <laughs> we have some incomplete notes here. Oh god, I don't. I don't think there is a player in the league that has a better nickname that is more underwhelming. That is more incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, from a from okay from a. Uh, not sabermetrics, because like a barrel isn't a sabermetric measurement, I wouldn't say. But from like a statistical standpoint, compared to like a factual, like real life standpoint, he yeah. does put the barrel on the ball a ton. He doesn't get a ton of quote unquote barrels, the thing that we know as a stat in fantasy baseball land. As but, as a Staten Islander that plays softball, I know dozens of Donnie barrels uh, out, out of my softball yes. leagues. Uh, yeah, so Donnie Barrels is going to give you a great batting average, I think, th for the rest of the year, and he's been playing regularly at second base there. I don't see him moving out of that. Again, similar with uh, Wilmer Flores. Again, bounces around the order, but he's going to be valuable wherever he is in that lineup. Tune in next week after Kirk Casale has a killer week, and we have to talk about him next. Oh, no. Actually, I was looking at he's Kirk. Been, he's been good he's lately. Been good. <laughs> he's actually been good. It's been he absurd. Has. Uh, oh my god we're just are we just a san francisco giants this is this, this is, is a sad this is? yeah this is a giants podcast now oh sorry other 29 teams and you're welcome to buster Ugh. cheers buddy 
Uh, oh, here's a player that we literally did not write notes for. But no, this is actually an easy one. Uh, yeah. Luis Arias of the Twins. So uh, the reason that this is easy is because he is, and he's just, he just is what he is. He hits, yeah. he, he puts the bat on the ball. He doesn't walk. He doesn't strike out. He hits early in the order. And uh, he hits for what is ostensibly a good lineup, although it hasn't been at times this year. Uh, the Minnesota Twins argue like like how this should play out in theory is that he gets on base a lot, he scores runs. Uh, I was I was a huge Arias fan at the start of the year because I thought he was going to pile up the runs, you know, by the dozen. And uh, the batting average and OBP are always going to be strong. But the Minnesota Twins have disappointed, which makes his context in the lineup a little bit more underwhelming. But the nice thing is that he's become available. Like, he's dropped under 20%, which is why we're talking about him, uh, which is honestly really surprising to me as he's a player that I target heavily because... A lot of players have really bad batting averages nowadays, and this is the type of player with his volume that can really prop up a team batting average given opportunity. Now, he's been hurt, but he's back, and other twins are hurt, which means he gets opportunity again. He's got that multi-position eligibility. He's got second base outfield. I want to say third base also. Depending on the league, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we love multi-eligibility players, especially with all the injuries nowadays. So, Arias really great if you're trying to lock down that batting average yeah i love that i mean i think he was someone that we covered pretty early on like in the preseason i believe right did we talk oh, about him briefly absolutely. Then? yeah, yeah I, that I, was you i've actually. been a, i've long been a fan how, yeah. how was that for no notes that was fantastic Brilliant. professional podcast uh, we have someone love else it. here that we actually moved down to a different section so we're going to skip him uh one last one in the average obp section uh this is one that i saw that looked kind of good on its face initially and then i looked at all of the peripheral data and i just want to throw it as a warning to fade this person because i really don't see a whole lot of good here guillermo heredia like in limited playing time has had like pretty good average recently and is putting up a reasonable amount of counting stats but everything that i've seen as far as the inputs that he is putting into his like quality of contact metrics things like that have been super meh he's just had really good outcomes like his babip is really elevated um he's currently this year he's got a career high in swinging strike and o swing rates which is obviously not great and while he is putting up a career hard hit high hard hit rate it's still like way way below it's like 30 percent. it's not impressive by any means so maybe he's selling out for a marginal amount of more, like more power but like i don't know i don't think i don't think it's a sustainable approach for him and i think that his outcomes are probably a bit too good to be true so i would stay away from him if that's someone that you were looking at him like oh he looks all right just don't do it he's selling out for slapdick which is very much yeah not the kind of player you should be slap targeting richard <laughs> slap richard thank you thank you micah <laughs> thank you to micah fantasy central uh, uh it's funny like because uh jordan brought up guillermo heredia and i was like no he stinks and then he's like no i'm gonna look i'm gonna look into this and it's like no jordan he stinks and i but... did my due diligence <laughs> that's what we do here although it does take us a little bit too long and we very often get sidetracked okay that's fine all right so then moving on from there we want to kind of segue nicely with someone who is one both great for average and non-base percentage and then also start talking about guys who might be good stolen base targets so first off Akil Badu we talked about him last week we've covered this we've gone over it uh over the past couple weeks he's got a 394 average and a 500 on base percentage which I think that's okay it's all right it's probably pretty solid uh 
He's got enough speed to steal a bag, and he just finds himself on first base an excessive amount due to his excellent walk rate, which is 17.5% over the past two weeks as well. So, uh, again, we just want to kind of continue stumping for him, uh, much to the joy of uh, PL manager and noted Tigers fan Scott Chu, who's been ranting and raving about Badu for the past few weeks and just begging for someone to do a write-up for him on the site. Uh, but yeah, all of that analysis that we did last week still stands. Uh, and just another real quick note here, while we're talking about people that we've covered before, uh, Stephen Duggar. We covered him last week as well, yes. briefly. Uh, he fits here too. He's got four stolen bases over the last two weeks, uh, along with a slew of other counting stats. His average and everything else are all absurd as well. And again, this is a Giants fan cast now, apparently, so this is why <laughs> we're going to mention here This is four Giants we talked about. This is four Giants. There's so many good <laughs> ones to talk about. It's absurd. None of them are owned. None of them are rostered anywhere, and yet all of them produce. I think it's just because just that value and that production is so spread out amongst all of them that yeah, none of them are worth yeah. owning in, like, obviously smaller leagues, but, like, your 15-teamers, this is a ton of value. The, the fun thing about uh, Dugar is that he was brought to our attention— but while bring, while being brought to our attention, it was also pointed out this this is from a PL community member, Lil Piranha, and uh, he he mentioned yeah like Duggar's been good, but in the coming week he's not going to be facing any righties, so uh, yep. yeah it's going to be a rough week for him. But then he just kept on doing things, so doesn't it's matter. yeah doesn't yeah. it literally doesn't matter. It's like Wilmer Flores doesn't doesn't need to be facing lefties anymore. They just every giant is just going to hit now. Whatever. Uh, and also uh, regarding uh, Akil Badu, uh, I saw him. I, I mentioned I meant to. I went to Comerica, and I know this is this is just like the worst scouting ever. But he like he looked like he didn't belong on the Detroit Tigers. Like he was like the only batter with a pulse in that lineup the you day that I went. Don't say that so loud, or Scott's gonna show up and beat us both <laughs> up. Uh, you. Sorry, I was just trying to think of a meme where, like, you know, angry Scott Chu doesn't exist, and then there's a picture of Scott Chu somewhere angry. But angry but, Scott Chu is just Scott Chu without a mustache. Angry Scott Chu can't hurt me. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Scott. Uh, but also uh, at Comerica, whenever Akil Badu does anything, they uh, play a sound clip of Fred Flintstone going "Yabba Dabba Do," and I. I really want to know if they ran that by him and they're like, is this cool if this cartoon caveman shouts your name all the time? But I, I digress. Speaking oh yeah, we, we mentioned, we mentioned how we, uh, we like to go on tangents. Here's mine. Not to be a pedant, but is Fred Flintstone technically a caveman? Because he actually does live like in a house. Oh yeah. But <laughs> what, what, what would Captain that make? Caveman. What would that make him? Captain Caveman is a caveman. Cause he's very, I mean, it's in his name, but like, I mean, He's not, a, he's not a caveman, though. He doesn't live in a cave. He lives in a stone house. This is not the first time we have brought up Fred Flintstone or the Flintstones in general on is this it really? podcast. Remember, we, we went on a whole tangent about, like, the... the uh, uh the 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 oh god all the, the, the appliances jobs, all the, all the yeah. jobs that the dinosaurs yeah, yeah, had right the dinosaur appliances oh my god oh this is the san francisco giants and flintstones podcast it all comes full circle eventually i totally forgot about that until you just said that and i realized wow we did have like a full three minute conversation on one of the pods about that and it's oh, incredible god. i love it so much wow uh anyways I guess we should try to maybe get back on track here. Wait, weren't you going to talk about someone else too? That was also yeah, another the Tigers ba- player. Basically, the complete opposite of Akil Badu because I like Akil Badu, but Daz Cameron uh, is a player that is is should be near and dear to my heart as he is the son of former major leaguer Mike Cameron, former Met Mike Cameron, Ooh. very good former major leaguer, great defender, power hitter, great walk rates. Probably would be appreciated much more if he played today. 
Now, his son, Daz, uh, is a little more uh, underwhelming to me because uh, he does not walk. Uh, he doesn't get on base a ton, or uh, at least that was his profile as a prospect. But since he's came up, he's been hitting for a decent enough average. He's been in the 260s, and he has shown a little bit of pop and stolen some bases. And, I mean, really, you don't need to do much beyond stealing bases to be fantasy relevant. So, I mean, the Tigers are kind of bad at baseball, so they have every reason to give Daz Cameron run and give him chances to uh, show what he's got. As long as he's playing and running, he's worth paying attention to in fantasy, is, is basically basically the whole point of this. Uh, I, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, if you need things beyond stolen bases, I can't really recommend him. But if you need steals, check him out. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, let's move on then to pitchers at this point. So someone who's kind of been absolutely killing it for the past couple of weeks um, in his three starts. Zach Tom, like, why why are the Marlins so good at pumping out just great pitching prospects? Even though he is, like, older for a prospect at 27 years old, obviously. But, like, I mean, he's put up some absurd numbers in his first three starts here. So you mentioned he's 27. This is his first major league run. Yes. the His first four major league appearances have been uh, four starts in the last few weeks. And in the last three of those starts, he has thrown 15 innings and struck out 24 batters. And this is against a couple of really quality lineups in the Braves and Cubs and also the Washington Nationals. Uh, and so I was I was doing this research on Zach Thompson and I just kept on finding myself like shaking my head and going like this there's just no way this can this can maintain because the pitch metrics support it. His cutter has been fantastic, his curveball has been fantastic. He's barely thrown his slider and sinker but those have been fantastic. Uh no, I think I think it's a change up in sinker, but I, I digress. Yes. They, basically every one of his pitches has been fantastic so far. Uh the ones he's throwing the most are the uh, the curveball, the uh, four-seamer, and the cutter, mainly the cutter. And it's just everything's working. Everything is generating whiffs. And it's strange because if you look at his minor league profile, he never really topped like nine strikeouts per nine. And like now he's putting up like 12. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. So... <sighs> I like there's like a kind of a conventional wisdom that pitchers of his size he's six foot seven as I think Jordan mentioned there's some conventional wisdom there that like that's a big boy yeah there's a lar- large boy throw ball not hard doesn't really throw that hard that's fine but <laughs> so, so yeah a lot, people think that pitchers that size may take some time to get their mechanics together and take a while to figure it out kind of like catchers hitting but I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm, or, or man, men and ladies. I don't know. Uh, I would ride it until it falls apart. Uh, we call that a Vargas rule over at uh, Petrolist because I just can't imagine that he suddenly spiked to a new level of production uh, this suddenly and this drastically. But it's really, really working right now. Uh, and I picked him up just now in TGFBI. Uh, I'm, I'm going to see if I can uh, roll with him as long as he's producing this way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is I, I would love to actually take a dive into his repertoire and see if there have been any changes made to it over the past year or two. Like maybe if he added that cutter, if that's always been a pitch in his repertoire, or maybe he changed the grip or changed this, like tried to like work on spin efficiency or whatever it may be. I want to see if there was like a change that he made 
in whatever it was like mechanic wise or just pitch mix that has led to his success because i mean like you said 24 24 k's in the last 15 innings that he's pitched over three starts he he wasn't doing that obviously no, i'd never. love to see i would also love to see if maybe it was just like an issue with throwing strikes to like too few strikes something like that not getting ahead of batters or what it could have been um and like the frustrating thing for me when I was looking into this is that we just don't have that kind of data because mm-hmm. it's his first four major league starts. We just don't have the kind of savant data for minor leaguers that we do for major leaguers. Exactly. So we, we can't even see if there was a change. Um, he was pitching really, really well for the AAA team. This, I think I believe this was his first time in AAA. But uh, yeah, like but before these few starts in AAA and then the few starts in the majors this year, like he's just never been remotely close to this good. So yeah, like I said, I'm I'm willing to give it a chance. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I am going to try to grab him in both of my auto new leagues because he is still out there. Obviously, one of them has an auction live; the other one has not been set up yet. So I'm going to do that. Um, and yeah, and your 15 teamers obviously is easily worth an ad, and then. 12 teamers at least as a streamer like you said Vargas roll ride it until he breaks yeah if you're looking for some starting pitching help maybe you need to catch up in a weekly matchup or you trying to catch it or sorry trying to what am I trying to say just lost it it's gone this is an in person so okay we have we spent like at least what like four or five hours today in the sun yeah oh yeah yeah hitting baseballs uh neither one of us has done this much physical activity I don't know possibly in my life yeah help me i'm dying uh we're both a little bit out of it so if we're a little bit slow we apologize this is going to be a little bit off the rails especially towards the end but uh anyways let's move on to david peterson here uh so schwebzy obviously because this is a met i need to hand this off to you uh he's been looking good lately yeah no no as a mets fan uh i need to preface all of this by saying that david peterson absolutely terrifies me he's very much a cherry bomb uh, in pitcher list parlance, uh, which for us means he could absolutely blow up at any given time in both a positive or negative manner. Uh, in his, he's had starts this year where he's only lasted 1.2 innings, 2.2 innings, and 0.1 innings. Let me tell you, I was not enjoying mm. that 0.1 inning start because it was against the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I was expecting goodness, and we did not get goodness. No. So occasionally, he just completely loses the strike zone, and he it just gets annihilated. But, very, very large but here. When he's going good, He's got a very good sinker and an elite slider, which generates a ton of swings and misses. So the ingredients are here to be a reliably good starting pitcher because he's got a great defense behind him, and we love sinker ballers with great defense behind them. So we're currently seeing a stretch where the sinker is working. In his last three starts, he's gone 16.2 innings, only giving up two runs and striking out 14. Not as many Ks as I would like, but that'll play, absolutely. We've got a little luck in this stretch as it's a 132 BABIP in these three starts, but that's kind of how a sinker baller's season can ebb and flow. If he keeps throwing good sinkers, he keeps giving his defense chances to make plays, and the Mets are now running out a really, really good defensive infield of Luis Guillorme, Francisco Lindor, and Jeff McNeil. Yeah, I mean, I after those abysmal starts, I ended up dropping David Peterson and TGFBI, and then he had like multiple very good starts in a row. And I instantly regretted it. He feels very, in a certain sense, kind of cherry bomby, like that. Like you said, he just loses the strike zone. I mean, oh, I, I, I'm regretting it now. Uh, but I will also be celebrating if he does choose to blow up once again. It's it's hard because 
a, a pitcher like this, it's not necessarily about the quality of opponent. You can run him out there against a good team and he'll be great. Yeah. Or you can run him out against the Arizona Diamondbacks and he'll go point one innings. Like it's hard to predict. So I mean, maybe he's a pitcher that you're more comfortable running out if you're doing really well and you can afford the possible blow up. Or if you're late in a week and uh, you you know you you really need a potential elite start, he can give yeah. you one of those. Yeah, like I like him as a late week, a late week flyer to kind of catch up on strikeouts or whatever yeah. it may be. That's a really good call. Um, one more here. Sorry, actually, I'm going to take this one here because it's going to be a pretty short one, obviously. Uh, but Patrick Sandoval, we talked about him last week, uh, and he's still not rostered nearly enough leagues. So just a reminder, we wanted to chat him up again and then tell y'all to pick him up because he's still pretty good and he's still below 20% roster ship in most leagues, ESPN and Yahoo. So go get him. I, I have a really fun Patrick Sandoval anecdote. Oh. Um what so, is this now? This isn't in the notes. So uh, Patrick Sandoval, obviously a uh, pretty popular uh, waiver wire call out for a fantasy analyst right now. Uh, Pablo Sandoval is not. Oh, no. I'm not going to name names, but <sighs> someone someone in one of my leagues today picked up Pablo Sandoval with a $101 bid. And... I, I'm pretty sure they thought they were picking out Patrick Sandoval, the uh, the Irish panda, not the Kung Fu panda. I love panda so much, but you do not. Why? No. No. Why did that happen? Please just read. Please pass that first letter. <laughs> just right there in the first name. Just pass that first letter. I, I shot out a tweet like, a, uh, well, it would have been, a, I guess, a week ago now about people accidentally picking up the San Francisco Giants, Wander Franco. Although mm-hmm. with how the Giants are, that might work out. But uh, hey, yeah, th- this is basically that, but worse. I want to <laughs> feel bad for people that do that. But at the same time, it doesn't take that much effort just to read. Maybe it maybe really uh, doesn't. Maybe pinch hit home runs are a category now, and I just didn't realize. I really hope so for their sake. Pablo Sandoval, absolutely elite in that uh, category. All right. Um. Anyways, moving on. Let's talk about some guys. These are more bulk guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Seth Lugo and uh, Colin McHugh. Yes. Uh, Lugo was actually, uh, I want to say, called out to us by Yancey. He who, was. Yancey Eaton. Yes. Everyone's favorite uh, mayor of fantasy baseball Twitter. Yes. I think is what his official title is. Uh, yeah, we talk, We talked about both of these guys last week, actually. We're, we're, I'm, I'm really just repeating myself here. Uh, we're going to talk about Seth Lugo and Colin McHugh. And nothing's really changed. Uh, they're still very, very, very rosterable, even though they're middle relievers. Lugo gave up a run after we talked about him, but it wasn't anything disastrous. He also picked up a win since then. And hey, look at this. Colin McHugh also vultured a win since the last episode. These guys are both elite relievers with great stuff who have the trust of their teams to pitch in a variety of situations, which means possible vulture saves, possible vulture wins. If you have a roster spot that you don't know what to do with on your pitching staff, I'm once again asking you to pick up these really good middle relievers. Can I get your Bernie Sanders real quick, Jordan? No. Oh, I thought if I put you on the spot, you would do it. People got to pay for my, uh, (laughs) that's a, that's a PL plus thing. If you want to get, actually tune into the stream. I'm not going to do it on the podcast. Uh, it it, shows you over here. Like 
I tried. <sighs> if you want to get Jordan's Bernie Sanders impressions, tune into the stream because I get him to do it like every other week or so. I'm looking at Shrubsy dead in the eyes right now. <laughs> I'm not your dancing monkey. Okay? Uh, you can't make me look, we've got, clap my little symbols together whenever you so please. We got really good Bernie Sanders and really good uh, Morgan Freeman out of Jordan today. Was it actually a good Morgan Freeman? Yeah, yeah it was good. Okay, I guess I got to workshop that one. I will break that out eventually. Eventually, on a podcast episode, we'll, we'll see that. Okay. Uh, now, please tell me about this starter I hate. I'll talk a little bit about this starter <laughs> you hate. I, I mean, it's a Taylor Two starter. This is a, okay. This, so this is a cherry bomb type guy, but he's also like the literal worst kind of cherry bomb because on his good starts, he's probably actually not going to give you that many Ks. I wouldn't assume. Uh, we're talking about Joe Ross. So over his last three starts, he's kind of had a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Column A being awesome, B being bad. Um, in his start against the Giants on the 13th of June, he went eight innings, five hits, no walks, no earned runs, and nine Ks. Fantastic line. That's really Love good. to see it. We like that. Um, then he went up against the Mets, which, you know, that should be like an easier matchup, right? Definitely. Totally. Uh, he went five innings, gave up six hits, five earned runs, and only struck out five. Um why what what how did that happen against an offense that is absolutely worse than the giants i'm sh- i'm sorry schwebzy uh and then his next start after that he went up against uh the marlins at miami he went seven strong four hits two walks no earned runs with eight k's i so the thing is is that that those eight strikeout game that eight strikeout game against the marlins and then the nine strikeout game against the giants were incredibly, I felt, out of character for Joe Ross and what the peripherals on his stuff tell us about his ability to strike people out. And the only pitch that he has in his entire arsenal that has a CSW that's higher than 30% is his sinker. That's it. The rest of them are all like 24% or lower. So he doesn't have a ton of like great strikeout stuff, so that's going to limit his K upside long term. Obviously striking out nine giants in a start and going eight innings shut up ball is fantastic and that raised some eyebrows but i just don't think it's actually what he is um i think what it really comes down to after both shrubsy and i looked at it is that with ross he gets a ton of called strikes on his sinker when it's on like he did against the giants and the marlins but in the game that he had like against the mets where he gave up five runs he left his sinker out over the plate and he got absolutely killed so i mean he is a very cherry bomb like type player and I think he, like I said, he is probably the worst type of person like that. Because usually your other cherry bomb guys are guys who walk a ton of people but have really nasty stuff. I feel like that's the prototypical. He's just someone who has, like, if he can locate his sinker, it's going to be good. Otherwise, he's just going to get knocked around and he's probably never going to give you that many strikeouts. I feel like those two starts were really, really out of character. So for me, to sum it up, Joe Ross, heavy avoid. Yeah, yeah, it's a pass for me. Because uh, like even you, you can't, I would say like so he had like we oh god I'm 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 stuttering, uh so we talked about these three starts San Francisco New York Miami New York Mets of course yep and that's one really good offense two pretty bad offenses and he had one really and he had two really good games you know one against the good offense one against the bad offense and then one really bad start against the bad offense so it's just like what what do you do with that what what is actionable there it's just hard to predict not something that i want to go near because like the upside i i don't think this is the upside i you know it happened we can't take that away from him but i if those were his two best starts of the year at the end of the year i would be surprised literally zero yeah i mean i don't see him topping an inning outing where he's 
struck out nine against one of the best offenses in the league yeah so if you were if you're looking at picking up joe ross sorry you already missed the best starts yeah sorry friends uh all right so now we figured we'd probably close out actually you know what let's talk about uh tony santian real quick let's just do a real quick one on him actually all right so uh we did we actually never write anything about tony uh tony santian uh my notes on him are ad lib baby so here we go <laughs> we're doing it baby it's time i kind of yeah. i kind of just dumped this on schwebs no this this was because uh we, it, it was getting late as it tends to do as we are preparing for this thing and we were just like yeah, yeah tony santian whatever fine. no uh so it, it was said to me by one of our prospect guys over a pitcher list that tony santian is one of the two best pitchers in the minor leagues right now this was right before he came up right Mm -hmm. before his first start he has been pretty impressive so far walking too many guys striking out plenty and uh, it's just it's another one of those spincinati guys he the breakers are really nice the velocity is not too great but I think I, I think the fact that he's in the NL Central means that he gets to face some really nice offenses. He's going to have some good matchups, and even the matchups that aren't particularly good, like the Cubs, he gets to face guys that strike out a ton. So it's kind of like last year, where the, anybody in the NL Central or the AL Central was a really desirable pitching target. A little yep. bit less so because the schedules are less skewed. But I do like Santian as a high upside streamer. I think this is the kind of pitcher that can just put it together for a, a start or two and just absolutely strike out the world. So I like Santian. Um, I'm, I've rushed to pick him up in a few leagues. Um, I don't think that I would drop anyone particularly good to get him. But uh, he's definitely a target of mine in any league where I'm like really in dire need of pitching. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like in dynasty leagues, he might not be out there and available for you. But if he was, absolutely go get him. In redraft leagues, depending on the composition of your team and how many roster spots you have, he's a yes or no, depending on that. But if you have deep benches, uh, definitely someone that you can stash and stream when you need him. Uh, I liked what I saw from him. The slider is dope. Yeah, slider is dope. really, really good. Um, Yeah, uh, so let's wrap it all up here. Let's talk about a few of the reliever situation close it out with some closers close it with some closers let's do that uh so let's start off with again staying in cincinnati which is kind of a nice little segue there uh this is this is so not our wheelhouse (laughs) it's really not but you know what we're gonna go for it anyways i I mean and these are things that i mean most people this week are looking at these options that they have and it's like you're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to most of these folks that we're going to talk about because like saves are so hard to come by in a lot of cases you can get them on a waiver wire but like you gotta you gotta go column a or column b with this so yeah for each of these teams that we're going to talk about we're going to show like the two what we think are the most likely options and kind of provide very short arguments as to who we think will be the best so let's start with again like we said a good segue from santian the reds well, so m- mentioning column a in uh, when we're talking about if he closers is is nice, hey, nice. i didn't do that on purpose because <laughs> i'm not smart enough <laughs> But yeah, so the Cincinnati closer situation is not pretty. Uh, They have now lost both Lucas Sims and TJ Antone in the span of a week. And both of those injuries mentioned mentioned forearms, which we don't like when pitchers are hurt with their forearms Mm -hmm. because that can really easily mean a UCL. 
So I'm not expecting to see Sims or Antone back anytime soon, which is very, very sad for baseball because they throw some wicked stuff. Really quick note, too, on Antone. He was hurt with a forearm injury, came back, he pitched two outings, and then went right back on the IL. So especially... Uh, kind of dire it feels like for Anton it feels like it's just going to be something that nags him it's not scary at all Mm. but uh so what's left not much uh we've got Amir Garrett who was the I guess the the closer the the guy that we thought was going to be the closer coming into the season except he was terrible he had an abysmal uh like he was interesting in spring training like he was striking out the world at one point but like as soon as the season started just just got annihilated constantly and uh, so he's on one side. He's got a few saves already. He's he's picked up a couple saves in the last week or so. But then there's also Brad Brock, who the might be a Pokemon. Uh, if you and you'll understand that if you watch the stream just now. <laughs> uh, rock type, obviously. Rock type. Uh, so you might be thinking that Brad Brock, and yes, that Brad Brock, Cubs legend, Mets legend. Uh, <laughs> he's been really good lately. Uh, he. It, so it was described by uh, Rick Graham. Uh, we we are not relief pitcher specialists. No, Rick Graham. Rick Graham of Pitcher List is so good when it comes to deciphering closer situations and picking out good relievers to pick up. You should absolutely, if you're if you're if you need closers ever, you should be reading Rick Graham's columns on Pitcher List. And uh, Graham, Rick. Graham, comma, Rick. Yes. Uh, mentioned that Brad Brock could be kind of a Cesar Valdez type, uh, leaning on the changeup and like uh, going really heavy changeup as a late career reliever. But the the results have really been there, and he picked up a save. Like, Yeah. I don't I – don't, I, I think if both of these guys were on my waiver wire, I'd probably take the shot at Garrett first, I think – uh, Rick has Brock like 20 or 30 spots higher on his list. Yeah. He's got Brock in the 70s, Garrett as basically right at the very end. So uh, Rick Graham is smarter than me, so maybe uh, maybe go with Brad Brock first. I'm, I'm leaning just due to recency bias, and that's literally it, just like riding the hot hand, because Brad Brock has put a better whip, ERA, everything in comparison to... Well, maybe not strikeout numbers, but has just put up a better whip in ERA in comparison to Amir Garrett. So just due to that, I think I would lean Brock. But I think, I mean, it could really go either way. It's probably just a committee thing at this point. I know that someone else also in the Twitch chat tonight while we were doing the stream said something about Heath Hembry, which is a name that I put in a dark corner of my brain and never really wanted to pull out again. Uh, So I don't know if he's also possibly a person that could get some opportunities there. Likely not. But, yeah, Brock is the person that I would probably go after. Uh, I unfortunately did not get him in my TGFBI bidding tonight because his fab has already run, but it is what it is. Um, Well, I I can confirm that Amir Garrett is not a Pokemon because uh, Amir Garrett tried to fight an entire team at once, whereas Pokemon have rules. That's true. I still remember just so vividly that photo of him just taking on the entire... It's the Pirates roster, right? I think so. That just hanging. That was, pi- was the Pirates team, right? I think so. That ha- just hanging in the Louvre, right? Yes, it's be- it's it looks like a Renaissance painting. <laughs> it's incredible. But all right, so kind of staying in the Midwest here again. We're going to move north a little bit to Detroit. Uh, let's talk about a bit about this situation. So basically, again, it's injury driven with Michael Fulmer going to the IL. Um, it's between. 
Gregory Soto and Jose Cisnero. Yes. I said that really awfully. Cisnero. Um, Schwebzy, who do you have here? Who do you think is going to get more opportunities? We know like Soto, like coming into the season was like the incumbent essentially in the situation. And then Cisnero has been performing very, very well lately. Again, that recency bias thing of like, he looks a lot better than Soto has. What, wh- which way are you leaning here? Man, this is This whole section. I'm so unhelpful here because I'm trying to verbally communicate a shrug emoji on all of these basically. Yeah. It's Cisnero has been awesome lately and he's gotten three saves lately. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, our, our reliever specialist, Rick Graham, has that column where he lists the 100 best options for saves and holds. Cisnero's not even on that list, yeah. but Cisnero has three saves recently, so you do have to pay attention to him. And for Cisnero, the the results have absolutely been there. I think this is a straight-up committee. That's, what, that's the sense that I'm getting based on their usage the yeah. past few days uh, since Fulmer got hurt and... <laughs> Yeah, shocking. Michael Mike Fulmer got injured, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think this is a straight up committee. I think I think you. It's just I, I can't say if either one of these guys are going to r- run away with it. Soto has had chances. He's had so many chances. He has, and he just he walks too many dudes at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Maybe Cisnero can run with it for a while. Uh, maybe he's less prone to blow ups. I I think. I think if I had to choose between the two of them and that I would go Cisnero just because uh, I haven't seen him just absolutely be flammable like uh, Soto has been at times. I Again, verbal shrug emoji here. Yeah. It's, this, is a, this is a tough one. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this one. I, f- I mean, I was someone who drafted Soto in a couple different leagues just as like a very late round saves option. I have and- him in best ball in a league. Ah, yeah. yeah. And I was incredibly underwhelmed with how he's performed so far this year. I ended up dropping him because he had lost the job briefly and then was getting save opportunities. I, I just didn't want to deal with the headache personally. Um, I think, again, I'm just leaning more towards recency bias and whoever is performing better currently, and that is Cisnero. So I'm going to probably lean that way personally in this case. Uh but again, both are pretty uninspiring options at the end of the day. And also, like Detroit, one of the worst teams in the league, is right. also not going to have that many opportunities for you to get saves anyways. But again, when you're scraping the waiver wire, trying to find some of these saves just wherever you can get them, these are the options that you have. So you got to keep an eye out. Someone's got to save those 25 wins for my Scooble and uh, Manning. It's going to happen. I feel it in my bones, Schwebzy. It was such a good bet. It was such uh, a good board bet. I'm, I'm apparently very bad at board bets. But, uh, yeah, and moving on to Philadelphia. This is another... This I, is the biggest... I mean, I'm going to put this in a, ter- in, in a term that is probably not going to be, like, the nicest thing, but it's the biggest turd sandwich of all of these turd sandwiches. It, it's a cluster heck. Yes, exactly. Um, so, basically, it's between Jose Alvarado and Archie Bradley. I guess. Who got a save I guess. recently. I don't um, know. I don't know, Schwebzy, who do you have here? This situation was ridiculous because Hector Neris got blown up uh, a few days ago. Then they had a doubleheader. Joe Girardi announced prior to the doubleheader that Jose Alvarado was his closer. Game one of the doubleheader, Alvarado gets blown up. Game two of the doubleheader, Neris gets the save. Didn't make any sense. Next day, Neris gets in for a save opportunity, loads the bases with no outs. And then uh, I, I... I think they wound up losing the game also, but they, yeah, Neris failed again. Oh. Day after that, Archie Bradley gets a save, who wasn't even mentioned before that. Yep. 
I would not touch this situation. Like I'm just not even thinking about picking up these guys. Like uh, I, in my uh, NL only league, I have rostered on my team Hector Neris. I might just drop him and not replace him with a closer from Philly. Like I'm, I'm kind of over this situation. Like Alvarado walks too many guys. Neris gives up too many home runs. Archie Bradley's kind of washed. Yeah. I asked a Phillies fan, a fellow PitcherList moderator, uh, Kyle Seiler, I asked him who he thinks the closer is going to be. He thinks long-term Connor Brogdon, but Connor Brogdon's not very good either. And like, he's not, he's not going to be the closer right now either. Right. That's he's thing. like, we he's need like, answers right now. Right. He's like fifth in line right now. Exactly. So, so, I mean, yes, while Brogdon could be getting the job down the line at some point, obviously, we, we know that it's likely to happen as long as he can pull it together. He's not going to be there right now. And obviously, people that are listening to a podcast like this need help immediately. And honestly, I I know that in certain cases, it's fine to like take and fill up a roster slot with a gamble just to hope that it pays off. But this is still a situation that I would much prefer clarifies before I actually try to move in and actually take someone who is going to contribute to my team because there's just so much blow-up potential across all of the options available in that bullpen. It's absurd. Like We we talked before about Seth Lugo, and 100 times out of 100, unless I needed saves like so desperately, I would rather roster Lugo than any Philadelphia reliever. He's going to vulture more value than any of these individual pitchers are going to give you throughout the course of the season. Yeah. Easily. I, I, if if you need to roster a Philadelphia closer, I'm sorry. Maybe try again next year. <laughs> sorry, that's really mean. Oh, uh, not a great note to end the podcast on. But how about this, Schwebzy? This has been a f- joy. <laughs> I am very much happy that we got to do this in person. This has been very, very cool. It's been cool to have you in Milwaukee for the past couple of days. I'm excited to come visit you on your turf. In like, yeah. well, it's like basically four weeks oh my god four and a half weeks something like that yeah uh super amped to do that so that's gonna be fantastic uh thank you for hanging out with me in my humble unair conditioned abode and sweating with me for almost an hour while we talk about this plus the entire stream as well i appreciate it that i appreciate it buddy look i'm sticky and happy sticky and happy (laughs) if that's how we feel after every episode of in the deep that's how we hope you feel as well yeah yeah. sticky and happy that's the episode title we just named it we love it okay uh on that note something that i forgot to do at the top of the episode because obviously i'm very good at this and we've only i mean we've only what done 19 this is the 19th episode professionals now? we're so good at this uh please follow us on our social media pages obviously we have our twitter that is shared that is in the deep pl for schwebzy and i and then also individually you can follow schwebzy at his namesake schwebzy that's s-h-w-e-b-s-i and then myself at bunt singles also, if you want to reach out to us via email, if you have any uh, mailbag questions or just want to, I don't know, say hey, you can email us at inthedeeppl at gmail.com. And be sure to tune into Schwebzy's Twitch channel every Sunday night when we stream the prep and recording of the podcast. And I guess we'll see each other again next week over a computer screen instead yeah, of in from, person. From a distance. It's kind of Far sad. away. All right, Schwebzy. So far away. Schwebsy, send you out. Bye, friends. <laughs>